Hello, everyone. Welcome to our 24th Exponent 2 Craft Workshop. In case this is your first time or your newish, this is a workshop put on by Exponent 2 on the first Tuesday of every month. We have a craft workshop, and on the third Tuesday of every month, every month we have a generative workshop. And so today we are super lucky to hear from legendary Dana Patterson. <laughs> I'm going to keep using that word, Dana, um, who's also just magic and all the things, which we'll get to soon. Um, and she's going to be talking to us about the art of revision. Just a quick agenda of what you can expect over the next hour. I'm going to do a very brief intro, and then without hesitation, we're just going to hear all the wisdom that Dana has to share. Um, I will share at the top of the hour a closing thoughts document that just has um, some links to um, books, other materials, submission opportunities that you can take with you. You can download that. And then um, with any remaining time, we'll just go ahead and do a Q&A. And if you could use your raise hand feature just so we can make sure we answer everyone's questions in that order. That would be great. Um, dramatic pause. Does anyone have any cat jokes <laughs> or cat updates, Rosalind? <laughs> no joke, but uh, if you occasionally see a black blur, we have a, an eight-week-old kitten who is not quite uh, <laughs> what appropriate zoom etiquette is. So that cat is so cute. Okay. I don't know why I was doing that. All right. Okay, drum roll. I'm just making sure you're really excited, Dana. I'm just like, we're really excited to introduce you. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on. Okay, here we go. All right, this is my friend, Dana. <laughs> so grateful to have you here. Thanks again. Um, I love that your website identifies you as a writer, editor, and a stitch witch, um, because that's exactly perfect. Um, I'm not going to read the slide entirely. I just want to more informally introduce Dana. I um, was fortunate enough to get to know her through Exponent. She was a former poetry editor and did a lot of really incredible work and set up some beautiful systems that we still use today. Um, she's got a BA in English from Utah State University, an MA in English Literature at Texas State University, San Marcos, and an MFA from Western Washington University. And in addition to several of her books that we're going to talk about and like gazillions of published poems in the fanciest places where you can publish poetry, um, just a wonderful person and just so generous with her words and her life and her art and is an incredible photographer. And I'm going to show you some of her poem broidery here in a bit, too. Um, so some books, not all from what I understand, you have other chat books that I haven't read which is so upsetting, <laughs> but I have read all of these. Um, so to the the two on the right, these are the the two like full length books um, that Dana's written. The last one just came out. Oh, lady, speak again. I've got it here with me. Um, just truly phenomenal. I've only had an experience um, twice where I have read a book and been like, whoa, do it again and start over and read it. One of those was Titanium Yellow, this chapbook on the left. And the other one was this like dragon book called Fourth Wing that I just totally read till 5.30 in the morning. So so Dana and, and the dragons are like, the magic is out for me. And then just um, to give you a sense of just some of her scope, um, the, this is poem broidery. Um, the, the one on the top right is If Mother Braids a Waterfall, which is the title, of course, of her first full-length collection, and just stunning stuff, what she can do with visuals. Um, and we see that in the white space on her pages, but also sometimes with, like, actual textiles. So uh, without further ado, go ahead and take it away, friend. Thank you so much for being here. We are so lucky. I'll go ahead and put um, a link to her books in the chat just while we're warming up, and you can take it from here. That was a really beautiful intro and super generous. Thank you, Rachel. I'm just blushing. I feel my face is just hot from from that intro. Woo! Thank you. <laughs> Do you ever get like somebody introducing you and and you're like, who's that? That person's cool. It's like an out of body. Yeah, like an out of body experience. Um, thank you so much for that, Rachel, and thank you for inviting me to be here. I am going to share a link to my presentation document in case you want to follow along. 
Um, I went to a, a workshop recently where instead of sharing a PowerPoint, the person just shared um, a link to their document and then they were able to see everybody's faces. And that's kind of nice, I feel like, with Zoom to just still be able to see everybody, even though you're all you're all quite tiny, I can still see you. Um, so, yeah, uh, I was so we're talking about the art of revision and I was revising this right up until like five. 47. <laughs> My outline just tweaking it a little bit more. Um, one of the reasons why I, Rachel, when she reached out to me, said that I could present on anything. And one of the reasons I wanted to, to <clears throat> focus on revision, I think about revision a lot, but I think particularly right now, as we are finishing um, National Poetry Month in April, and I, I'm not sure how many of you have tried the NaPoWriMo challenge in April where you try to write a poem every day for the month of April and generate a lot of new work. And then somebody facetiously, I feel, I feel like on Twitter said, well, May should be poetry revision month then where we're revising all of the poems that we wrote during April. My goodness, I'm still um, on one poem that I wrote from April and tweaking it and changing it and going in and massaging. So I, I I can do the poem a day, but then the revision work takes me a long time sometimes. And preparing this presentation has helped me remember that that is okay. Sometimes poems revise and come together faster, and sometimes they are like um, toddlers, and they don't want to be revised, and it takes, takes more work. Um, I've also had a lot of conversations with poets recently, some of whom say that they absolutely hate revision um, and, and really struggle with it or don't revise, that they the poem comes down onto the page and then they have a really hard time getting back into the headspace of when they wrote that poem and so that they just don't revise, which I, I think is fascinating and really interesting. Um, I also have revision on my mind because I went to a conference recently where play emerged as a really important topic. Um, different sessions that said that they were going to be about play, but then I would go and hear somebody read and they talked about play. And so I'm thinking about revision as play and, and trying to um, maybe reframe the work of revision a little bit. I also think about revision a lot because my day job, I work in a research and writing studio in an academic library. So we uh, if you are familiar with a writing center, it's a writing center that is mashed together with a uh, reference desk. So we help people with research and writing um, in, at a university. Uh, and sometimes that includes creative writing. Um, but I'm, so I'm constantly thinking about what revision strategies work for different kinds of writing. And um, yeah, so th this has all been on my mind. So I thought we could start with a quick free write of why do we revise? Why can revision be difficult? Um, what makes it hard for you? And you could type your responses in the chat or if you would like to grab a piece of paper and jot down for a couple of minutes. Why do we, revi why do we revise? Why do you revise? What gets in your way? What makes it hard? and just take um, one or two minutes to do that. Okay. Said, as you said, I have a really hard time getting back into the headspace. And I feel like when I revise the poem, um, the piece doesn't always get better, just different and sometimes worse. I totally hear you. That is one of my worries that I'm making the poem worse <laughs> as I revise. Um, so says, I like it because I can free write the first time and then I can pick out those images that seem strongest and polish them until they feel impactful for the reader. I like the discipline that comes with rewrites. It makes me feel more confident in the outcome. Nice. Adds, poems can have a tendency to be raw you have just bled on the page and cleaning it up and making it look pretty too, seem, too soon seems unauthentic. Mm -hmm. Maybe even feels unjust. 
It helps me to revise when I give my poems space to breathe for a while and then come back. That's really good advice. And we're going to talk about that more later. Sometimes months, yep, or even years later when I'm not so close. Mm -hmm. It says, I actually like revision. Woo! <laughs> Might be alone. Um, for me, the first draft is usually the hardest. Okay, I find it necessary to revise my poems in order to in order to get the sound, rhythm, rhyme, and musicality right. With prose, I can always tighten it up. Mm -hmm. so says, I revise so I can make the work um, more uh, better, more interesting, more cohesive, more appealing to others. Revision is hard because I can be stumped by my perfectionism. Yeah, it can be tricky to get into the right headspace to kill your dar darlings. We're going to talk about that phrase a little bit more later. And be confident to know something good can replace them. As a poet, I struggle with revision because as a teenager, I would spill out drafts that were celebrated and I fell into the belief that true artistic genius is based on how well you can write extemporaneously, not editing the not the editing after. I absolutely did that as well. I believed that the poem came out like the spirit, like it was given, like from, from a muse, and then that was it. And I ha had a really hard time learning how to revise. Mm -hmm. says it's harder to measure, feel I've done work. Writing X amount of words feels more measurable than infinite tinkering. Absolutely. I, I give myself chunks of time to do revision work rather than trying to measure how many poems I've completed revising because um, the chunk of time feels a little bit uh, more forgiving maybe than the X amount of words. These are great. It says, because we can be made new, Ooh, like why we revise, because we can be made new, because we believe in repentance, mm -hmm. change, right? Because when, we, I think, I can't remember who, what poet who said that revision is writerly repentance. Maybe the poet's name will come back, come to me in a bit. <laughs> because we, when we believe revision is possible, it's proof that we are godly beings, we are capable of holy, cre I feel like this is, a poem. <laughs> we are capable of holy creation, more abundant and visionary than we ever imagined. While it is okay to not revise, having the windows of heaven open to revise gifts us pearls of great price and rubies of splendor divine. Because if we do not revise, someone else will and someone else will get their great idea published and I will not, which is okay, but I want to get the thing out there. These are all wonderful. Why revise? Says to make sure the work holds up to the sunlight. What gets in my way, I don't want to look too long into the void, embarrassment and vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. Um, adds, I like revision most of the time, but I'm a prose writer, not a poet. Mm -hmm. I struggle most with is, what I struggle most with is figuring out how to help my students revise more than just surface level stuff. Revision is hard. It's, it, it, can, be, it can be work and, Fixing commas and periods and grammar is a lot easier, right? It's less demanding um, or it can feel less demanding. Says I resist the pressure of change. I want perfection now. I see this need of constancy. Wholeness is not holiness or could it be holiness is wholeness. Opening up to revision, I see with new eyes, my heart beats a little faster. Sometimes change brings new birth and growth like winter into spring. I welcome this moment of being with all that comes sometimes. These are all wonderful. Um, yeah, that openness, there's a kind of a rawness to being willing to change, right? Um, adds, I have a hard time revising my poetry, but ironically revise my scholarship. I'm a researcher all of the time. In response to feedback from reviewers or myself or editors, etc. Uh, so I'm now thinking about how to consider those strategies I feel so comfortable with while writing my scholarship to my poetry. Yeah, maybe poetry feels more intimate, more personal, and harder to open up to that feedback or criticism or yeah. Lots of beautiful, yep, lots of poetic answers too. I agree, Rachel. Uh, 
says, I have a hard time revising, not because I feel like my words are perfect the first time, but because I'll never be able to revise it enough to be crystal clear to everyone who may find it. That's true. Yeah. Um, I'm also forgetting what writer talks about <clears throat> the, the words that are in, in our mind are like these beautiful, beautiful butterflies. And in order to pin them down, we, we kill them. <laughs> And, and it's not the same. It's not the same on the page as it is alive in our minds. And so we have to keep trying again and again to, to get the butterfly onto the page. If you know what writer that is, let me know. I can't remember who it is off the top of my head. Rachel, you know, don't you? Oh, okay. Oh, got me. <laughs> don't pin it down. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, let's see. Um, maybe that keeps us pulled pulls us back to the page over and over again, Julie, because we can't. So we keep trying. Um, says, I have done the thing. I don't want to do the thing again. Don't make me please. Yeah. <laughs> These are all wonderful. I feel like all of y'all could be teaching this, um, this workshop. So obviously, like, I'm, I'm going to share some, some things that have been helpful and have worked for me. My goal in sharing these strategies is I hope that you walk away with one or two things that you can try that you maybe haven't tried before to make revision hopefully a little more playful and um, maybe a little more delightful. Um, at a conference recently, I heard Jihan Dubrow say, you know, if the work, if my poem, if it doesn't delight and charm me, how will it delight and charm others? So that can be one measure of revision as you're reading your work. Is it delighting you? Is it charming you? Um, George Saunders in this amazing book, A Swim in the Pond in the Rain, talks about revision as an act of care and respect for our readers. Um, quote, he says, the, the reader is out there and she's real. She's interested in life and by picking up our work, has given us the benefit of the doubt. All we have to do is engage her. To engage her, all we have to do is value her. I, I love framing revision as like an act of care for the reader and respect for the reader. Um, and that helps motivate me to not give up on my poems too soon or too easily because I want them to land um, well for, for my readers. Um, there are a lot of things that can stand in the way of revision. Perfectionism was mentioned. Uh, you, you have probably heard this idea that we have like a create, um, an editor brain, um, and a creative brain. And I was reading about this a little bit and apparently that is a myth. Um, you, the, the left brain is, is your language, um, and the right brain is uh has some creative potential but without the left brain you'd be completely um nonverbal <laughs> you need your you need the left brain um in the right temporal lobe there's a uh, or left temporal lobe there's an area called the Wernicke's area which is the language center um but it wants you to slow down it wants you to consider it wants you to edit and make sure that what comes out is really good so instead of thinking of like turning off the left side of your brain um, and letting your creative brain take over, I, I like to think of creative and editing modes and trying to quiet that, the critical voice that we can sometimes have in that um, the Wernicke's area of our brain and letting the actually the halves of your brain balance and, um, and work together a, a little bit more. And, and so I, I think about reframing revision as play and can we trick ourselves and it doesn't, it doesn't always work for me, but can we trick ourselves into a, a more playful, more delighted, a more joyful state as we're revising? Um, does, uh, can we suspend that critical voice that tells us that it's not perfect, that it's not good enough and kind of put, the, <coughs> put those high stakes aside um, for a bit. Uh, play comes from the word, I don't know, I actually know how to say this, play in, which means to rejoice, to be glad, to move lightly, to tend to, to cultivate. Um, in the same conference where I heard Jihan Debrau, a former professor of mine, Tiana Kahakawila, said play 
is about finding the right boundaries. So play isn't um, maybe like a childish kind of play without rules or boundaries, but those boundaries can help us to play better. Um, so I kind of think about what, what I've, I've broken my uh, comments and my presentation into strategies for early revision, what we, where we might be more playful. And then a little bit, we'll talk about maybe some strategies to try for uh, later revision. Um, and in this early revision, I'm thinking that we can lean into play um, and uh, lean away from the feeling that we need to complete the poem for a little bit longer, and just draw that out and suspend suspend judgment for a little while. I wanted to talk about my process, um, which I've developed over many years, and that is I start with a notebook. Um, and your process is probably different. I hand write out the first draft of a poem. And then my first revision is typing that into a Google Doc. And then I'll cross it out on the page so that I know that it's been typed up. Um, and that is the first um, place where revision happens as I'm typing it into the Google Doc. And then something that I um, started to do, which made, made me feel more free to be playful with each iteration of the poem is I'll copy the poem, um, I'll write a new date on my Google Doc and I'll paste the, the draft below um, and then make changes to that draft. And then anytime that I uh, revisit the poem and want to make changes, I'll copy it, paste it below, add a new date so that I've got a track record of all my poems. If I am making it worse, I can go back. But it re I, this took me years to arrive at, and I see like a lot of people nodding their heads like, oh yeah, I've been doing this for forever. Um, this took me a long time to, to discover, and it felt just enormously freeing. Like I can completely rewrite this poem because I've, I've got my backups. And so I'll get to, like on my on this this poem that I've been working on for a couple of months, I think I'm on page 21 or so, 22. I'm on page 22. So I've copied it and pasted it that many times. It's a villanelle. It's not that long. But I keep copying it and pasting it. I'll add a new date and then I can change anything I want. And that just makes me feel a little more free um, to play. I... As I already mentioned, George Saunders uh, swim in a pond in the rain. Um, and I want to bring it up again here because I found that his um, revision process is, is kind of similar to mine. Um, he writes short stories and he's known for short stories and for fiction, for novels. Um, and if you haven't read this book, I would, I would highly recommend it. But he talks about <clears throat> how he imagines that he's got a meter on his forehead. And on one side of the meter is a P for positive, And on the other side of the meter is an N for negative. And he'll print out a draft of his short story and he'll try to read it um, with as fresh of a mind as possible as if he's a reader who's coming upon it for the first time. And he says that his process relies on intuition and iteration. So he'll read it with a fresh perspective and he'll pay attention to the needle. And if it dips down to the negative, then he'll uh, try to uh, <clears throat> first admit that to himself, that the needle has dipped and that that part needs a little bit of massaging. And then he'll print it out again, make the changes, print it out again, read the draft again, paying attention to the needle and I feel like that is very similar to my process. I don't print my poem every time, but I'll copy and paste it. I'll read it, paying attention to my meter, my delight meter. And if it is dipping into the negative zone, then I know that <clears throat> something is not quite right. Something needs massaging in that area. And I'll do that again and again and again. Um, George Saunders talks about doing it for months, even years, and I think one of you mentioned that as well, like, the, like coming back to it over and over again until 
<clears throat> until it feels right. He says, so a repetitive, obsessive, iterative, iterative application of preference, watch the needle, adjust the prose, watch the needle, adjust the prose, lather, rinse, repeat, through sometimes hundreds of drafts over months or even years. And then over time, like a cruise ship slowly turning, the story will start to alter course via those thousands of incremental adjustments. So that's my typical process. Um, it was very similar to George Saunders' process. Um, and we're going to talk about play here in, in, in a minute, but I want to say uh, other folks that I've talked to, um, uh, something that frees, feels like it frees them up to revise um, a little more deeply is to have a document of uh, that they call their junkyard or orphaned lines where they cut and store paragraphs or lines or <clears throat> bits of a poem that are just not working. Um, and sometimes those uh, orphaned lines get pulled back into a new poem or become a new poem. Um, somebody already mentioned, I think it was Elixir, Kill Your Dar Darlings, which is attributed to William Faulkner. I like um, Twyla Nui, who's an, um, a poet uh, who's very active on, on social media, and she's a friend of mine as well. I saw a tweet of hers a while ago, and I asked, I messaged her and asked her for the exact quote, and she's like, I have no idea what it is. Make it your own. But she said something like, well, instead of kill your darlings, how about put your darlings to bed, um, give them a kiss on the forehead, come back and visit them later. You don't have to, we don't have to use this really violent <laughs> language for, um, for revision and for and for the the cuts that we sometimes need to make i i think that's gentler and maybe more true to the process maybe we do come back to those lines and maybe those lines find their ways in their way or those ideas find their way into other pieces other poems okay so that's a little peek into my process um and maybe your process is quite different um, but now we're going to dive into talking about different ways that we can revise apart from maybe that iterative and intuitive process and the ways we can maybe incorporate more play into revision. Um, I'm looking at the document now, uh, different kinds of play. So there are a lot of different ways that we can revise with an eye towards more play in our poetry. One of those is sonic play. And I'm pulling these ideas from the poet Philip B. Williams, um, who also presented at this conference that I went to. He talked about sonic play, heightening the emotional texture of your poem through sonic devices. A great way to get at this is to read your poem out loud. Um, I'll say that again later on as a, a revision strategy to read the poem out loud. Um, and a, a great example of this is uh, Kazim Ali's uh, No No Name. Kazim Ali is a poet who's very driven by sound and talks about how a lot of their poems are sound-based and come from or generated out of sounds. And there's a link there if you would like to explore any of these poems that I'm about to mention. Uh, temporal play, playing with time, could you move through time backwards, forwards, um, in your in your poem draft, Lee Young Lee is a master at this in his his poem The Gift. It's a wonderful example. Uh, you could play with you could play with space. You could shift the setting or have it be take have your poem take place in a no space or an interior space. Um, I think Alicia Ostriker's The Encounter with the Goddess is a great example of that. And maybe we'll just look at that one because of this particular group. Um, we can click on that. Does anybody want to read The Encounter with the Goddess? Paying attention to the, the shift in setting. I'll read it. Go for it. Okay. Um, the Encounter with the Goddess. That one story worth your telling is the ancient tale of the encounter with the goddess, declares the poet Robert Graves. You can come and see a sublime bronze avatar of the goddess standing in the harbor holding a book and lifting a torch among her name is Liberty. 
She has many names and she is everywhere. You can also find her easily inside yourself. Don't be afraid. Just, just do whatever she tells you to do. I guess I should have read that first part, you know, of the Robert Graves. It's there is one story and one story only that will prove worth your telling. Mm-hmm. I, I love Alicia Ostriker's um, poetry about God the Mother. And I just stumbled across this one the other day. I like how it, it starts. Uh, or the middle stanza is about the Statue of Liberty, but then it moves spatially to an interior space. She has many names and you can find her easily inside yourself. So there's that spatial movement within the poem that I think is just beautiful. So spatial play, um, associative play, this one is harder for me, but I I like it when poets can do it well, uh, when there are non sequiturs that are lines just loosely connected to one another. And Arthur's uh, vectors is a fantastic example of that, where each line um, could almost just stand on its own, but they each have a trajectory, they each have a vector, and that's what connects the lines together. So I, I recommend spending some time with that poem later. Um, visual play is is a really fun place. As you, I like playing with poems on the page. Um, this can be as simple as how long are the lines? Where are the lines breaking? Where are you including white space um, between words in a line or between stanzas of the poem? And it can be more complex, such as Sarah J. Sloat's work. I love her amazing uh, visual poems where she includes um, collage and often does uh, these beautiful erasure poems. If you're not familiar with her work, then I highly recommend it. And there's a link there to just one short series of erasure poems where she's working with all kinds of visual media. So... I, uh, those are some kinds of play that you can consider as you're re- revising your poem. And I think for, for beginners, sonic play is a really great place to start. Like, how is the poem sounding? Poetry ultimately is an oral form that is meant to be spoken out loud. Visual poems less so, maybe. You know, you, you want to see those on the page. But for most of poetry, the history of poetry is oral, and it's meant to be heard. So that's a great place to start if you're not sure how to begin to play um, with your poem is to lean into the sounds. Another way that you can play with early drafts of the poem is to consider the form and the content. Um, what is the poem, what is the, the idea in the poem, the content, and what form might match that? And maybe you've drafted a free verse poem. What happens if you pour it into a sonnet form? Maybe um, maybe you have a, a love poem that is in free verse, and sonnets have a long history of um, of being about love. And when you write in a certain form, it it carries the associations of that form uh, with it every time you write in it. So sonnets, the history of the sonnet is love poems, and also they're short, so they're often about um, the brevity of life. And so if you have um, if you dig into the history of the form and it maybe resonates in some way with what you're writing, maybe try uh, putting your draft into a completely different form and find out what happens. Have any of you tried this before? Like write a free verse form, I'm gonna write a free verse poem and put it in a completely different container. Yeah, Amber, Couple, couple nods. Um, I think it's fun. It's challenging. Different line, you'll you'll cut different words and different lines. Different images will surface. Um, I tried this for uh, Napo this past April, where I wrote a free verse poem about a local bee man. Our honey man passed away, and his and we drove up to get our fifty gallon huge jar of honey. And his shop was closed and I was so sad about it. So I wrote a long kind of rambly free verse poem. 
and then a few days later tried the same thing as a villanelle and it was a same idea different different container um and different things emerge from that and yeah anyway it can be a fun way to play with with early drafts of a poem uh, poets.org as well as a poetry foundation's glossary of poetic terms where you can filter for uh, a form and type of poem are a great way to learn about the history of different the different forms and their associations like i was talking about the sonnet um, it, it turns out lots of poetic forms uh, are from music many of them have roots in music you can try mashing forms to, together or inventing a new form. Um, I have a link on my document here to Tracy Brimhall's hair guzzle, uh, an essay. So she's mashing together a guzzle, uh, which is a really specific poetic form with couplets that are loosely connected, loosely connected couplets with a particular rhyme scheme. And she's got an essay that's a guzzle. So each, each paragraph, each chunk, is about hair and it's terrifying and I recommend it. Um, yeah, uh, I tried to invent a, a form, poem embroidery by mashing uh, poem and embroidery together. I'm still working on that, trying to make it not gimmicky, but um, where the poetry and the embroidery are, are really working together. Patricia Smith's hip hop guzzle mashes hip hop and a guzzle together in a, a lively um, poem that I really appreciate. So maybe try mashing a couple of forms together and see what happens. Um, the next strategy on here for an early draft of a poem is just to cover half the poem and see if you like it better. Uh, I tried this out in a workshop with the poet Catherine Smith. Um, we wrote our, our poems by hand, and then she was like, okay, now cover half of it. And I liked the poem better when I could only read half the poem. So that's just like a fun um, thing that you could try. I mean, you could try it right now. Just cover up half your poem, your poem. You will have an opportunity at the end of this workshop to try out one or more of these ideas. Probably many of you or all of you have heard of Olipo which is uh, Ouvroir de Littérature Potentielle. It was um, developed, I think, in the 70s by a couple of French mathematicians who also liked poetry and who wanted to play with language and kind of mash poetry and, and um, math together. And they've developed lots of different applications or forms that you can try. Um, one of them is called the lipogram which is a text that omits one or more letters of the alphabet. I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise that you try it if it didn't fit what you're trying to talk about in the poem. Like um, I have a, a poem in Oh Lady Speak Again, where I feel like, um, where I'm talking about my mother having left when I was really young and how that shook my sense of self and my sense of, uh, identity. And so I cut the letter I. There are no I's in the poem. And that is something that I arrived at in a later draft of the poem. I think there's an I in the title, um, but no I's in the poem. So you could try cutting letters for fun, but then think about like how it's significant to the meaning of the poem. Like why would that particular letter be missing? Yeah. Um, yeah, my lipogram is called Self-Portrait of Perdida as Lost Eye. So there's an eye in the title, but then nowhere in the poem. So that's kind of fun. Fun to try. Then there's this crazy uh, form that I haven't tried yet, but um, in preparing for this workshop, I really want to try it. It's called the N plus seven. Uh, so you take one of your poem drafts or you can take an, they would take existing poems, like famous poems and, and apply the N plus seven, but you could try this with a draft and see what happens. You um, replace all the substantive nouns in a poem 
with nouns appearing seven nouns away in the dictionary. Doesn't that just sound fun? <laughs> and and it really stranges up your poem. Emily, I saw you nodding. Have you tried this before? Emily Eptegraff? I have I haven't tried it, but um I I wrote an essay about Inger Christensen's alphabet. And when I was reading researching for it, um other people have written about this method, the N plus seven, um, related to her Fibonacci sequence poem. So it's fun. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to try this with an early draft. Maybe it, the, maybe a poem draft is just not sitting well or doesn't seem interesting or just flat. This could be a really fun way to um, strange it up. So you, you, I, I can't imagine using an online dictionary for this, but maybe that would work. But so I have my, my solid dictionary here. Maybe if you'd like to try this later in the workshop, you can find a, a dictionary. Um, and they would take care to try to not just do a variant of the same noun in the poem, like maybe go a couple nouns farther if, if the replacement noun was too close. Um, you could invent your own constraint because the, the lipo, that's what they would do. They would invent these fun and weird constraints. So you could invent one of your own and then apply it and see how it goes. You another way to play with a an early draft is to play with punctuation and syntax. Um, there is a website called Virtual Salt, which I learned about in a class on that was a nonfiction course actually, and we were looking at sentence structure and how to vary sentence structure. We can use this in our poems as well. Um, there are so many different kinds of sentences that I wasn't aware of. And there's a link to the virtual salt in, um, in my document. But for example, uh, I'm going to skip over the first rhetorical device that it lists, which is a sentential adverb, and go down to asyndeton, which consists of omitting conjunctions between words, phrases, or clauses in a list of items, asyndeton, gives the effect of unpremeditated multiplicity of an extemporaneous rather than a labored account. For example, on his return, he received medals, honors, treasures, titles, fame. She likes pickles, olives, raisins, dates, pretzels. Um, so that's fun. How long can you keep your asyndeton going? <laughs> Do you need to inject an a, a, a syndeton or three in your poem and see what happens? Virtual salt. Um, something that Ted Kuzer recommends in the uh, a poetry home repair manual is to try writing out your poem in prose. Just remove all the line breaks. Don't change any of the language, but just um, put it in a prose poem form to see what the syntax is doing. And then sometimes I, I really love doing this. Um, just if I've written out a poem in free verse, put it into a paragraph. Uh, and then I can kind of see how the sentences are working a little bit better and um, look at what the syntax is doing and then break it into lines again afterwards or not. Cause sometimes I like it better as a prose poem. Try putting it in prose, add the line breaks in again. Um, another suggestion, and this comes from Mary Oliver's wonderful A Poetry Handbook uh, that has a bit of advice that has stuck with me. The whole book is wonderful, but a bit of advice that has stuck with me. She says, quote, every adjective and adverb is worth five cents. Every verb is worth 50 cents. So maybe look at just the verbs in your poem. Um, what are are the verbs strong and strange and interesting or are they flat and uninteresting? I one this poem that I am currently working on that I told you I was on page 22, uh, about in the middle of maybe, maybe two weeks ago, someone was like, you've got the verbs empty and fill. And that's really boring. Those are really flat verbs. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. So I went through and just adjusted verbs. Um, trying to make them 50 cent verbs instead of 
flat and boring verbs. Um, I have a poetry mentor, Bruce Beasley, who says that for adverbs and adjectives, he makes, he, he treats them like guests that are knocking at the door. They have to apply for entry to the poem and have a really good reason for getting into the poem. And I probably need to think about that more because I love me lots of adjectives. But um, so those can be maybe rooted out as also as you're thinking about those are the five cents that you don't need, but you need the, the strong verbs, 50 cent words. Um, the next point, research as revision. I can't tell you how many times during this poem that I've worked on and many others that I'm like, I actually need to learn more about this thing. And sometimes skimming a few articles, I'll get a word that hadn't occurred to me. I'm like, oh, that word needs to go into the poem. Um, you can ask yourself, what are the gaps in my knowledge? and then lean into those gaps. I'll just tell you that this poem that I'm stuck on that I've been working on for since April is a poem for um, about the Great Salt Lake and and how the water level has been diminishing. Um, and there's a whole website that Salt Lake Tribune has gathered all these articles and research about that. And it was when I went back and read an article that I found out that there's toxic dust that the water as the water lowers there's more dust that gets released with these this to the toxic chemicals that are getting released into the air and there's like an elementary school nearby that has like a, a measure for this toxicity <laughs> ah! uh, so uh, the toxic dust needed to be in the poem and also the word watershed uh, the poem that I'm writing is a villanelle and it has a particular rhyme scheme and one of those is thread and I was like oh watershed yay that wasn't that didn't come up for me on rhymezone.com I cheat with rhymes I go to rhymezone.com and I get my lists of rhyming words but watershed was not one of them but I found it in the article so sometimes going back and doing revision um, can really help with with words with ideas as you as you come back uh, freshly to your poem. And then the last um, point that I have in this section on early revision is writing groups or generative writing and early feedback. I don't think that I would have survived even one NapoRimo uh, without peer pressure, without some good positive peer pressure. So I have a particular writing group that every April we have a closed Facebook group and we post a poem a day and we read and give just mostly cheering for each other. Yay, you did it. I love this line. Like this line is sticking out to me. Um, so having a writing group that holds you accountable for that early generative writing and, and early revision can be really critical. And we'll talk about in a minute writing groups that do other things. I just want to pause for a second here because um, we're going to talk about, oh my goodness, is it really that time? It is really that time. We can do the activity like homework style. It's totally great. This is gold. This is gold, Dana. We're so grateful that you're here. I feel like we started five minutes ago. Yeah, well, you're giving us like a master class of like a whole MFA and revision and it's I'm eating it all up. I don't know about the rest of you. So keep on, keep on. Thank you. Right. I was going to pause and ask things, but I'm going to keep on keeping on. Strategies for later revision. This is when you can invite your Wernicke's area to uh, fire up again and go into editor mode. I love this um, first point. If you're stuck and having trouble surfacing what you want the poem to do or say, try having the poem write you a letter. The poem wants to be its best self. And then there's, idea, uh, there's an idea that like unconsciously the poem um, knows what it wants to be. And so if you let that speak to you in prose, you can maybe arrive at what it wants to say. Alternately, you can free write in prose to help you process why you're stuck. This has helped me get unstuck when I've been like in the bog with certain poems. Um, 
Yeah. And then it bears repeating, uh, read the poem out loud to yourself at, at this point. We can read it to yourself, sign up for an open mic, read it to your family at the dinner table. Um, open mics, I think, are really valuable for trying out um, work that you feel like is getting close or even really fresh new work. And then you can see how it lands with people and know and hear it out loud one more time to know where you can go back um, to revise. Uh, writing groups can be great for early feedback and generative writing and holding you accountable, but they can also be great for later feedback when you feel like you're getting close, close to publication or closer to being done. Julia Cameron in The Artist's Way talks about believing mirrors and how critical it is to have those writers around you who reflect back to you hope when you're feeling hopeless as a writer. And I've absolutely depended on those folks. I got very, very close to giving up on Oh Lady Speak Again, but um, my writing group was like, this book is beautiful. It deserves to be out in the world. Keep trying. Um, everybody needs their believing mirrors. And then um, I've listed a couple of really great, uh, a great book on getting the kind of feedback that you need and are prepared to receive. Um, Felicia Rose Chavez's The Anti-Racist Writing Workshop talks about how you can, as an artist, take control of the feedback process so that you can get the kinds of, um, so, the, so that you can be in control of the process and get the feedback that you need and that won't be harmful to you as an artist and as a writer. And Felicia Rose Chavez leans on Liz Lerman's Critical Response Process, which is a smaller book, and you can read that. Um, Felicia adapts it for, um, the, for, for creative writing teachers, but I think that it's great for everybody to read who maybe has experienced a writing workshop that was more harmful than helpful, and what, maybe where you got feedback that felt diminishing to you. I, I feel like that is an empower, empowering book and, and Liz Lerman's critical response process is empowering for, for you to go into workshop and, and have it be, um, it gives you some tools to help it be supportive and um, get out of it what you need as an artist to move forward, if that makes sense. Highly recommend. Okay, um, when your poem feels done, I can't remember who, was, who said shelve it for as long as you can, a month, two months, a year. Ted Kuser in a poetry home repair manual says, like a Petri dish, the longer you leave a poem by itself, the more stinky fungus will surface. So just leave it as long as you can and then come back to it and then you will be able to see the stinky fungus and, and get it out. Um, it's, I, I do recommend this book. It's a little bit outdated. He talks about never submitting simultaneously and how hard that is for editors so that that there take it with a grain of salt but for the most part that's really great advice okay so i talked a lot and um didn't leave you time for this activity but there is an activity here that you can take as homework to try one or two of the things um, that we talked about today and i'd be really curious to hear at this point, like, what are you excited to try? Did you hear anything that you're like, yeah, I wanna try that strategy next time I revise? Yeah, everyone feel free to to throw in the chat what's to, I mean, there were just so many, I'm so excited to take this and I think it applies to so many genres, Dana, it is so, so fantastic. Yeah, so while people are blowing up the chat, I'm, oh, actually, maybe I don't want people, actually do the chat first and then I'm gonna share the, um, the closing thoughts is for anyone who has to take off. In fact, maybe I'll just do that real quick here first, and then we can dovetail that into um, the Q&A. I'm remembering now, Rachel, that I was supposed to stop like four minutes ago. Sorry. Oh, 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 there is, I'm, we, there we have a rule in the generative session, which is you're not allowed to apologize. And that was a violation. That was like a really big violation, but we love you and we'll keep you. Um, yeah, no, just fantastic. And just, I'll go through this just real quick for folks so we can just hear more from Dana. But um, 
Again, this workshop is sponsored by Exponent 2 Magazine. And by sponsor, we mean we're just, we're just volunteers um, signing through. So if you can subscribe to the magazine or support in any way, that would be great. We've got a monthly newsletter. They'll say more events coming up, um, contests. And then what I really want to make sure we draw attention to, um, the outline with these incredible resources. And, and truly, like this was like MFA, um, like a whole MFA on revision. It was so good. Um, Order Dana's books. They are so good. Um, oh, Lady Speak Again just came out. I have two copies. Um, I am still deciding who I'm going to give the second one to. Um, just phenomenal. And also, um, Dana has like really stunning photography skills. So if you are on Instagram specifically, um, she does this really cool thing where she pairs fungus with book covers. It's amazing. So Anyway, that's my that's my last spiel, and you can look at the other stuff. And now, um, yeah, feel free to blow up the chat with any comments, thoughts, revision strategies that you want to apply, and then any final questions that you have um, for Dana. And anyone who has to leave, um, have a great adventure playing with your revisions. And um, yeah, we'll just turn it to the, the Q&A. Thanks, everyone. I love you says I love the idea of adjusting things to prose. I tend to mostly write prose and changing the form and revising in the new form is intriguing. That one has helped me a lot. Um, this says, can I talk a little bit more about how you use revision to get out of ruts, particularly of form? Um, yeah, when I sometimes when I get stuck, uh, really stuck, I'll just write the line 20 to 30 times in different ways. And, and that is like with, with form, um, I'm working on this villanelle right now and I'm trying to get the ending. And so I'll just rewrite the, this strategy works for a lot of different things. If you're trying to come up with a title, if you're trying to come up with the title for your academic paper or a title for your poem, um, write it, write 10 silly ones, write it, uh, write 20 different versions of the, of, of your line. And eventually, hopefully you'll get some breakthroughs and, get to something that resonates with you that red registers p on your needle in the middle of your mind <laughs> i don't know if that answered your question the instagram handle for the fungus is poetry plus fungus i have a lot of fun doing that um says i love the idea of revision as play i see it as work too often me too um, and so do my students, and this was great. Thank you. How do you denote to an editor or publisher that your poem is intentionally odd? Are they pushing back with um, some editorial advice that you don't like? Are no, they pushing? Yeah. So I, uh, I'm, I work as art editor for a poetry journal, so I'm not the poetry editor, but I am given the um, included submissions and working with the layout editor, it would be nice to know that some of these formatting, um, spacing and things like that are, are intentional or are they maybe um, or like where you're omitting the, 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 the letter I, if that's maybe a typo. So do you, do you include that in like your cover submission letter? Um, you know, when you're doing these odd poems, do you let them speak or do you kind of guide the, uh, the reader? Uh, I mean, I think that most people with that particular lipogram, I think most the, I think it got published without anybody noticing that it was a lipogram. <laughs> I, I pointed out to folks and they're like, oh, um, so hopefully it speaks for itself, I guess. But if I did have an editor say, oh, you've got a typo here, I would I'd push back and be like, oh, no, that's intentional. Um, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully the poems are speaking for themselves. I don't know, Paige. Also, I just want to crawl into that room with you and like explore the whole room. Just artist page. <laughs> artist page. Um, let's see. Amber says, any good resources that talk about line breaks in contemporary free form? That's a great question, Amber. 
Um, well, nothing, I'm, I'm not thinking of anything off the top of my head. Something that my poetry mentor would do is just remove the line breaks from a famous poem and give it to us and have us decide where the breaks would go and then we would see the real poem. So that's something you could try yourself, just copy and paste a poem, take out all the line breaks and, and as an exercise, go in and add. I, I, this wouldn't work so well with like a formal poem, um, right? Like a free verse poem where the line lengths are different would be ideal, but that's an exercise that you could give yourself. Be cool. Yeah, if anybody has other ideas about a good resource for line breaks, I find line breaks to be very hard. <laughs> like really, really tricky if they're done well. Thank you, Beth. How do you find a poetry mentor? Mm -hmm. um, my first poetry mentor was a poetry professor at my undergrad institution who was the, she was the assistant director of the writing center where I worked. And I ended up taking a poetry class with her. It, she was my first mentor. And then I've just, I, uh, um, and then in another college town, there was a wonderful poet who invited me to join an evening class that she taught. So she became another poetry mentor. And then I've talked about Bruce Beasley a lot. And he was my thesis advisor and um, chair for my poetry manuscript. And that was for an MFA. And I know MFAs are not right and perfect for everybody, but mine was really great and very supportive and nurturing. Yeah. So how do you find one? I don't know. Mine have all been connected through classes that I've taken. Yeah. Thank you so much for this. I really enjoyed it. Yay. Looking forward to revising the poem. Wonderful. You can find people. Yes. Locally, local poetry writing groups. Um, our, my bookstore has a poetry group that meets um, weekly, so you might find a poetry mentor like at an open mic or in uh, a bookstore or library group. Mm -hmm. Online writing group suggestions? Yeah, got one more for us. Yeah. I've got a Facebook group I'll link here just in a second, but go ahead, Dana. To, is your question about for, like finding an online writing group, Amber? Um, yeah, because local here, like I kind of live in a small community and I don't think there are any writing groups unless they're just like little friend groups, you know what I mean, who meet like, um, and it's not like a established thing. Um, so I it would probably have to just be online. So, and you were talking about like finding those mirrors, you know, like, so if you already had some suggestions for good writing groups where, you know, it's already a positive environment, um, that's what I was kind of wondering. And a group that offers feedback or encourages yeah both <laughs> both i i think i do love the the facebook group mormon women who publish and you might ask around there um for folks who are looking for an online writing group and then you could make maybe a closed facebook group or i know some people use is it slack for online writing groups um even like a collaborative google doc can work for online writing groups. Um, but I think I also love the group Submit Bitches. They're really positive for the most part and supportive. Could ask around there and as well as Binders Full of Women on Facebook is a really supportive group. And I've found some folks to do readings with there and people to review my stuff when I've asked. So if you're looking to form an online writing group, you might try some of those spaces and just ask and see what happens. Yeah. Good luck. Really quick question. Will your, your um, outline be available? Will we have continued access to your outline? Yeah. Okay. I might continue to add to it. That's but, okay. That's great. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, what a thing. What a thing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Really great. Really great questions. Thank you, everyone. And thank you again so much. And Again, best way to support writers, get their books. And if you've read these books, leave them a review on the terrible engine that is Amazon and Goodreads. <laughs> uh, let's keep, let's keep uh, supporting our people. And just thank you again so much, Dean. That was incredible. And I'm going to be saving this for all future genres of revision. So thank you, everyone. And thank you, everyone, just for being here and participating. And 
we will see you again in our in next episode. I'm like, why am I being a talk show host? I don't know. Dana just was like really magic, and I'm really, really stoked, and I want to see more kids with the fungus. So, with that, good night, all. Thank you very much. Good night, everyone. Take care. Bye.